dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. And we also have our producer, Bo York, in the studio. I'm back. <laughs> See, I said last week that I know Bo would want to get in <laughs> on this conversation about the uh, ethnic change of the Mary Jane Watson character in Spider-Man's movie. So that is actually what we are going to be talking about today and some other broader things as well. So uh, Bo, welcome back. I know I knew you wanted to get in. I could have predicted Man. it. Come on now. Like, look, listen to, especially when I hear Jamar start talking about these subject things, I like, man, <laughs> I, I, I didn't pull my hair out because I'm starting to lose it anyway. So I got to be, you know, kind of mindful of that. But I did think I, was like, All right, I should probably, if y'all were, if y'all were willing, I wanted to say, you know, we, we should dive into this more. There was enough of an uproar. It definitely falls within kind of the, the scope of the reach of the show. And uh, honestly, it, it's kind of good to have something that I mean, I don't want to make light of it because there's a lot of very serious conversations that, that have been happening uh, in, in around kind of this subject. And I think it reveals a lot about different folks in terms of how they, they kind of see uh, moments like this in pop culture and kind of what that reveals about kind of where they are inside. But I will say this. I, you know, it's, it's, it can be a little bit more fun to have a little bit more geeky topics uh, to almost to pause with some of the heavier things that we've (laughs) had going on. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. So I think that's something we definitely have talked about incorporating more, just kind of a lighthearted tone to the show and having a break between the very serious, heavy topics that we talk about. I know this helps you guys to process in a lot of ways, but last week we talked about something that was pretty heavy. Um, We talked about the Mm -hmm. flood disaster, which a lot of people have been sending us links to different places where we can give. So, or we can, um, you know, coordinate with denominations or churches to bring relief to the Baton Rouge area. Um, so check our Pass the Mic uh, Twitter at underscore Pass the Mic. That's our Twitter handle for the show. And you'll find some different ways that we've posted that you can uh, help and assist. But then also we've, we talked about the mass incarceration decision of a decision from the federal government to cease using privately owned uh, prisons. And so Art, who we've talked about on the show is one of our listeners and uh, we love Art. He's part of the Pass the Mic private group, but he said something on the public page of Rand Network, the audio, um, on, on the Rand Network website. And I wanted to kind of deal with this particular um, comment that he made, which was really good. And it helps us to think through these things just to show you that we're continuing the conversation. And a portion of his comment says uh, there might be a three prong approach to the issues of fatherlessness and mass incarceration. He says, one, movement at the legal levels to administer justice in an equitable manner. Two, mentor the men being released in the area of fatherhood. Maybe these men could be mentored before they are released so that they are ready to take on their fatherhood responsibilities once they are released. And then three, mentor fatherless children. I think he's speaking of society, the church, etc. So I just wanted to to talk through this because I think this is good for us to kind of consider. Uh, he makes mention of, of uh, you know, some organizations that would say fatherlessness leads to mass incarceration. Um, not the other way around. So mass incarceration doesn't lead to fatherless, but fatherless, fatherlessness leads to mass incarceration. And so I wanted to think through that. And so I think on the first level, when we're talking about movement at the legal levels to administer justice in an equitable manner, 
I think we would say amen, 100%. We believe that should happen. If you're listening to Pastor Mike, you're probably already there. You're probably already saying, yes, we should have some shift in our justice system. But I think on the on the second point, it really hits at what I think has been a failure of our criminal justice system and our penal system, which is mentoring the men being released in the area of fatherhood. So it's interesting because we as a society have done a very poor job of assimilating um, people who get out of prison, who get out of jail back into mainstream society. Michelle Alexander talks a a lot about this in The New Jim Crow. She talks about how in certain sectors, um, in certain states, and in certain municipalities, it's actually illegal for you to house someone who is an ex-felon or someone who is a felon. So it's illegal for them to congregate at your house. So there could be some sort of uh, fine or penalty in certain places throughout the country. And when she wrote it at the time, this was still in effect. When you think about administering relief and administering help for those who are assimilating back into the population so that they can have jobs, so that they can properly provide for their family, so that they can be adequate fathers or mothers um, in any case, because mass incarceration does not just affect men, but it also affects women as well. And even in some cases, sadly, children as well. I think our system needs to do a whole lot better job um, of of creating materials, creating programs and systems that will help felons or help those who are getting out of prison to assimilate back into society with dignity. So I think that's a really good idea, but I think our society in general doesn't have that on its radar. Um, so I thought that was very interesting for us to to think through. And there's some other things that I wanted to to say about that, but we'll save it for another podcast another time. But these are the conversations that are going on, not just publicly, but also privately in our Pass the Mic Facebook group. We've had some very perceptive comments, both publicly and privately, about these uh, these issues and about private prisons and mass incarceration. So we want you guys to be a part of the conversation. You can tweet us. That's the quickest way to get a hold of us. You can tweet the show, as I said before, at under score pass the mic or myself at burns 23 and tweet all your hate mail and criticism to at jamar tisby he is (laughs) the one that will take care of it and uh no i'm kidding i'm kidding but but yeah so we just want to continue this conversation and we always welcome your comments your feedback even your critique we definitely welcome that as well absolutely so bo take it away man let's talk about Zendaya, I pronounced her name incorrectly last time. So Zendaya, which which tells you how connected I am to the Disney Channel subculture of actors <laughs> and actresses, right? I was, I was when I heard it, I was like, oh man, uh, I was like Zendaya, you know. But it's, it's- look, man, I would I would have pronounced it that way too. But uh, you know, Zendaya, that's right, um, man. Disney, they they uh, they've got a machine over there when it comes to uh, taking children and turning them into. Uh, <laughs> it's almost scary. Like I think I, I I don't know if almost is the right word. It is scary, right? A little bit. Um, you know, be be praying for those kids, guys. Be praying for those those kids. Yeah, seriously. Have, uh, have been pulled into the Disney machine. But yeah, okay. So of course, uh, Zendaya. It was announced uh, last week. I want to say maybe it was two weeks ago, but I feel like it was last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, announced as the new Mary Jane Watson in the upcoming Spider Man Homecoming. Now. A little bit of context here uh, before we jump into this. You know, for some of you uh, who are kind of a little bit more geeky, uh, like like uh, the the superhero films, you know that, or you've been following at least a little bit beyond just oh, I liked this movie. Marvel has not owned the rights to create Sp- 
Spider-Man films. Now, of course, they, they created Spider-Man. They, they own the character from a comic book standpoint, but they actually sold the rights to all film properties to Sony several years ago. And Sony, in turn, has been creating uh, some okay Spider-Man movies, some great Spider-Man movies, but mostly subpar Spider-Man movies. Um, mm. And so recently there was a big deal between them. Uh, long story short, Marvel has the ability to create... Uh, you know, for, for Spider-Man to exist in their universe and to kind of have some creative control over what that looks like. Sony still gets some money out of the whole deal and some distribution out of it as well. It's a win-win and mostly win uh, for the fans. So a lot of us, myself included, who have been Spider-Man fans since we were far younger than uh, the Peter Parker of, of the, the today's film, um, we're all very much ecstatic, uh, man. I don't, I don't know about you, but Spider-Man has been a—he's a, been an important character in my life. He was the kind of the hero that I always looked up to when I was a kid. Um, yeah, it, but, but, it's interesting uh, because what, it's kind of been, yeah. yeah, it's kind of been different for me. And I didn't really get into Spider-Man that much. He's never been the most intriguing character for me in the comics, so it was very difficult for me to get into him until the first Spider-Man reboot movie with Tobey Maguire. So that's when oh, right, I kind of right. said, oh man, this is interesting. I believe it was around the time I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, somewhere around there. And so I was largely unfamiliar with the Spider-Man story. I just knew him as kind of a pop culture character. But once I saw the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, I said, wow, this is very interesting. And it caused me to probe deeper. And then obviously as we go into Miles Morales and, and other characters, oh, it kind of attracted me closer to the Spider-Man canon, so to speak. Yeah, look, I remember being uh, a kid, a teenager in the movie theater for a terrible movie. It was the the Final Fantasy, like CGI, just monstrosity. But I Dude, remember that movie is so bad. Oh my goodness, that so movie is so terrible. Bad. Oh, it's so bad. But here's the thing. When it came out in theaters, the first trailer, the, the now banned trailer for uh, that, that Tobey Maguire Spider-Man wow. first came out. And it was the helicopter of, you know, where you see the, these guys rob a bank, they're in the helicopter, they fly off, and then all of a sudden they're getting pulled back by what you're not really sure what it is. You've come to find it's a spider web. At first I thought maybe this is like a new Matrix thing and it's Neo pulling the thing on a rope, but then you see they're trapped in a spider web. <laughs> Obviously, you know, and the reason it's banned now is because it was between the Twin Towers, because this is, you know, this predates 9-11. And so, wow. you know, this helicopter was in this thing and they showed just real briefly Spider-Man turning his head where he had kind of the Oakley eyes and everything, which was, you know, as a departure from what the, the comic book had uh, visually shown his eyes in the past, but it was still so awesome. And I just lost it, man. It's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's crazy because I remember getting to that movie late and my dad and I went to see the final fantasy CGI movie and it was terrible. Um, I, I can't tell you how terrible it was. We're the only people in the theater. Have you, have you been able to forgive your dad for, you know, no, for, for... Like I haven't. It's something that <laughs> it's an ongoing repentance work. I'm still trying to forgive him for uh, putting me through that. But I, so I missed that. And it's crazy to think about, but, but at that time of that movie, that's when I really said, man, Spider-Man is an interesting character that I should probe into. I should really look into. So. Well, so he's always been a character that's just meant a lot to me personally. I mean, like I said, of all of them, he's the one that stands out. So anything dealing with him, his supporting cast, the various almost like just number after number after number of uh, additional material, television series, cartoon shows, movies, the trading card game back in the day. Like I've, I've, 
I'm not like a super collector. I don't, you know, you don't go into my house and there's like a room dedicated to it or anything like that. But just from a mental capacity and kind of an emotional capacity, I've given a lot to that. You sure, about you sure? Because if it's, it's okay, this is a no judge zone right here. No, 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 it's not there. It's not now. If you come into my studio, you'll see a lot of flash stuff, which will tie into some things we'll talk about here. But, but no, man, I'm, uh, I'm I don't have anything too crazy. But this announcement with MJ, I mean, it's it's a big deal because this is, uh, you know, it, it's easy to kind of look at you know, a a casting of a new character and just be like, oh, that's cool. Or, oh, I don't like that. And kind of move about your business. But that's not what happened. We got a, uh, we've got a casting announcement with Zendaya that turned into a, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Ridiculous firestorm of criticism of, I'll even say like, it didn't help even with some of the praise because it was a lot of somewhat uninformed, disconnected praise. It was more of like, oh, good, we need more representation, which is true, but without any kind of context for what's actually going on and, and kind of the source material and everything else. And then you have people who are defending the source material with some very racist mindset. It seems to almost like fuel a lot of the commentary, at least the loudest commentary on that side as well. And uh, I found myself just sitting here watching this just terrible example of what the internet can be and finding... I don't know that I agree with anybody who's talking right now. And so I am like, you know what? We'll see if Tyler wants to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So what Bo is gently saying is we got it wrong on Pastor Mike last week. So that's, no. what, that's what he's gently no. saying. Okay. No, no, but, but seriously, I want to, I want to hear your perspective as far as, okay, let's talk about the diversity angle, mm. which is what we made reference to as far as diversity and representation in the film universe and the comic book universe, is this, what are your thoughts on this being a good thing or this being maybe a thing that doesn't make sense in this particular case? You know, we've talked about diversity, especially in kind of this genre before. I mean, it's it's a topic I think that uh, means a lot to us and it means a lot to me specifically as well. And, you know, I, I kind of, when, when the casting came out, when the announcement was made, I actually, you know, I, I for, for some reason, I thought that she was going to be Felicia Hardy. That's a whole nother deal. But I was sitting there and I was like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about this. And I don't know why I don't know how I feel about this. So I really did have to kind of take a step back and think about it. And what I kind of identified in myself, there are three primary emotions that I felt. The first one is, oh, good. The MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, continues to increase diversity and and representation, you know, uh, race changing of characters or or giving a different take or a a different diverse take on a character. That's nothing new in this space. They've been doing this since the very first Iron Man when we got Sam Jackson, Nick Fury. I mean, this is this has always been part and partial for the case. So, yes, this is this is good. This is exciting. We can get a new MJ. What, What amazing stories we can hear from her perspective, especially from a character who, if you follow, you know, her origin story and, and who she was in the comics, you know, this is somebody who has actually been a professional model and what great unique experiences, you know, uh, Zendaya, Zendaya as MJ can have as, you know, a, a model of color, if that's the correct nomenclature, you have to, have to be kind of careful. Right. No, I think, I think, yeah, no, I think that would be, that would be correct. All right. Versus what, you know, traditional white, MJ would have had in, in that space. And there, there'd be some interesting commentary that could even be made with a new new approach on that industry and, and specifically through the MCU, if they want to go that route, which they may not. But regardless, what wonderful opportunities for new stories and what an interesting take that they can uh, do with this character. That was my, that was one of the, my thoughts. Um, the other thought is, man, I'm kind of disappointed that we're not really getting a, a true source material MJ considering 
that this kid that's playing Peter Parker is like literally Peter Parker stepped off the pages of the comic book. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like, oh my gosh, we're finally getting kind of the comic book come to life. And MJ is not just some background character. She is a huge, crucial piece to the Spider-Man mythos and somebody who's very much tied to the story. So, you know, to, to go in a different direction than the source material uh, is a little, you know, I'm a little disappointed. But like I said, it's counterbalanced me, with the now, excitement. Now let, me, yeah. let me ask you this, because I think this is, this is an important point for me personally. I've never seen MJ as that compelling of a character. So I've seen her really? as important, but not to the point to where she couldn't be adjusted and altered, if that makes sense. So I've okay. never seen her as this essential character. And I, I don't know if there's, hmm, I don't know if there's an analogy or another character that I could point to that I feel similar about. Um, I'm trying to think of a character. Well, is, is Lawrence Fishburne's character in The Man of Steel? Superman is he traditionally black or no? He's yeah. That's that's a good one. Perry White is uh, traditionally white. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I forgot his name, but that's interesting. So that's so right. maybe I don't want to. I don't want to make her like the Perry White of the Spider Man story. But I've never felt like she was that compelling or essential of a character that her origin story mattered. Can you go into that? Can you explain why? She's so important to the mythos of Spider-Man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and they've made a lot of decisions in the past with this character. Like this, this, there's a reason why this character in particular also I'm a little sensitive to in terms of creative direction. Mm -hmm. And that's because historically Peter Parker was a character in Marvel comics that was allowed to grow up. Um, he was allowed to have these relationships. You know, he had this very tragic relationship with his high school girlfriend of Gwen Stacy, who actually, you know, he feels very responsible for her death. That was actually portrayed in the last amazing Spider-Man movie. Um, he then, uh, you know, creates, you know, uh, meets Mary Jane and they have this extremely, you know, strong, passionate relationship, which, um, is very much always kind of put into these various trials with, you know, uh, temptress or, or this, that, or the other and, and life being pulled in different directions. But the thing is, man, he grows up, he actually marries, they actually get married. And so he marries Mary Jane. And so we actually had a superhero get married, which doesn't happen all that often. A lot of times right. when it happens, you know, you got Clark Kent and Lois Lane and you got Spider-Man and Mary Jane. And that's about it. Black the rest Panther, of the times they're Black, getting Black Panther and Storm. You know, Black Panther and Storm. But they separated. But right, they separated. Right. So no, that's, that's the thing. True. A lot of times you get these Hollywood type, uh, uh, you know, marriages of you know Black Panther and Storm or Green Arrow and uh, and, and uh, uh, Black Canary, and they don't mm -hmm. last because it's more of like marketing decision and less about story character development that's been driven for decades and decades of kind of these two characters being connected together, and so right. it was. Oh gosh, almost a decade ago, probably when the decision to actually end their marriage happened in the comics. And it was very much a, we're going to retcon, which means retroactive continuity. They're going to go back in time and make it so that they were never married. So that MJ was just a girlfriend to him and everything matters and everything happened, but they just weren't married during that time. And it really irked me off, man, because it, for one thing, I felt like it devalued their marriage and what that meant. And it also kind of devalues kind of the, the, the 
evolution of Spider-Man and, and kind of, you know, who he is as a hero. And it devalues MJ so that she's just kind of this girl that was just hanging out this entire time, as opposed to his active partner, his active, you know, wife in these situations. And so that's why she's more tied into this than say like a Perry White to Superman, not to sure. discount Perry White at all. No, no, I totally understand. Now, let me ask you this question because I think this will tie into, you know, kind of your next point about source material. For mm. me, there's always been a difference between Marvel Comics or DC Comics and the Marvel Cinematic Universe or DC, I think they call it Extended Universe or something of that nature. So what is portrayed on screen is different from what's portrayed in the books. And right. so for me, I always felt like it's it's less of it and it's less of a comic altering or story altering change if you change something in the movies versus if you change something in the books itself. So am I am I wrong with that? Because it's kind of like mass appeal. And so the majority of people will see the mass, but they won't actually go to a comic book store. Or is that kind of looking at it backwards? Yeah. So so that's the thing, you know, when when kind of making the the decision to change characters and in, in appearance, you know, uh, be they fictional characters, it, it it generally isn't a big deal uh, if you think of kind of broad fiction. You know, I, I actually was thinking very specifically of Shawshank Redemption, which is a fantastic movie. Right. Uh, Morgan Freeman's character is Irish. Actually, they even have a joke in in the movie where they're like, you know, why do they call you Red? And he goes, don't know. Maybe it's because I'm Irish. And he kind of laughs after he says it. But that's actually a line from the book because the character is actually Irish and has red hair. And so it's, it was kind of a, you know, kind of a, kind of a ha ha ha, see, ha, and this is a new take and it's fine. And that is fine because that was a contained story that, that ended and now we get a new take. It's like um, Sherlock Holmes uh, in elementary um, on, uh, I, I forget what channel, and I haven't actually watched the series, but they actually gender changed uh, Watson, the character of Watson, to be female right. okay. in kind of a yeah. new modern yeah, take I think it was on. Lucy Liu or something. That's right. That's right. Um, so female Asian uh, uh, Watson, which, you know, if people are upset about Mary Jane, those same people, let me tell you. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, they're thrilled about that. But thing is that um, that's also fine because it's like, okay, you had a contained series and now this is, it's ended and now we're doing kind of a different take on what came before. With comic books, because the medium, because the stories perpetuate, because they continue on, the source material is living and it is active. So it's not as easy to say, oh, well, this is just a new take on what's come before, because what come before is still currently happening. And you're right, man. Hmm. I, I, I can separate my mindset as well, right? This is the movie take. This is the comics. They're different. It's fine. And it is. But the problem is, is that historically, the comic book companies or the, the creative minds see the popularity of a show or of a movie, and they want to start incorporating what people have commonly known in mainstream with what's going on in the comics. And to some extent, they've been able to do this successfully, and to some extent, they've actually failed miserably. So whenever a big decision like this happens, and it is, I mean, you know, and I, I don't, don't misunderstand what I say by big decision. Whenever a, a major change to a primary character occurs for a big screen or even small screen interpretation of that character, there's always part of me that's like, okay, what does this mean for the source material? This has been done well, and it's been done not well. Let me give you kind of two examples of that. Nick Fury. Uh, so Nick Fury on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, portrayed by Samuel L. Jackson, that actually has somewhat basis in the comics and that the Ultimates version of Nick Fury, uh, what they did when they kind of told that story was like, all right, well, if you were to cast Nick Fury as kind of the coolest man on earth, who would you get? Like if that was the sole purpose of who Nick Fury would be, who would it be? 
And it was obvious. All right, we're going to get Sam Jackson. And so <laughs> Sam Jackson comes in. He's Nick Fury of the movies. But now the mainstream comics want to get a Sam Jackson, Nick Fury. So they introduce this character of Nick Jr., if you will, uh, Nick Fury's son, hmm. okay. who comes in, loses an eye and kind of takes his role. So it is he is his own character. They didn't race change the original Nick Fury into all of a sudden Samuel L. Jackson. What they did was they said, OK, Nick Fury had a son. And by the way, it's Samuel L. Jackson. Right. OK. By doing this, what they successfully do, in my opinion, I, I always thought it made sense to actually even do that in the movies if they wanted to, um, was they allow this character, this take on, on Nick Fury to exist in the comics and uh, be his own you know, take on Nick Fury, be their own take on S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and still, you know, and not discount, discredit or, or throw anything onto the fire, so to speak, in order to tell new and very desirably different stories. Right. No, that's a good point. Okay, so here's the difficulty for me. Like when I listen and I watch things about source material, it always, and I know Marvel has done an intentional job of this within the MCU as far as incorporating diversity within the cinematic universe. They even have a guy, forget his name. Um, we, we mentioned him in, in the Black Panther episode where we talked about how he's in charge of everything when it comes to Kevin Feige. Yeah. Well, well not just Kevin Feige. It was somebody under him. Um, I forget his, I think it was Sam something, but he's in charge of kind of pushing the, the black character arcs of someone like Black Panther or, or Falcon. Um, and so I think that's great. I think that's phenomenal. But, you you know, for me, it's difficult because if, if we say, Hey, the source material is the source material, how does that affect us as we read through this? Is there room? Will there ever be room for not equality? Because that's not really what I'm going for. I'm not really going for quotas, so to speak. But I think it's a room for representation. And how does that representation play itself out in a popular sense if we're never willing to, in some ways, alter the source material, not cheaply, but in a way that can reflect the diversity of the times and in a way that can send proper messages to young people growing up? That's good. That's good. Um, So it's, it's, uh, delicately when the source material is actively being created. See that, 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 that is the, that's the trick. Right. Like if, if a story's over, it's easy to retell it and reimagine it in lots of different ways. Um, and that's, that's really, really tricky with, with comic books. Uh, and this is why something like changing a character's race, that's, that's a difficult thing to pull off in comics, man. It really is because if like all of a sudden, like, all right, so there's the question and the argument that I feel like a lot of people who have been championing this decision is, or, or have been saying is that, well, you know, race doesn't matter. Um, you know, I don't see race. I just see this character. And I feel like if that's your mindset, you miss what the purpose of getting more diverse characters in this space really truly should be, which is to also create more diverse stories and not just to have kind of like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter white or black. They're all going to have the exact same experience. Not necessarily. Not if you're telling your stories right. correctly. So you can't, you know, you, you can't flip a character's race no more than you can actually flip a person's race. Um, that being said, when it's been done, uh, I, I, I can't think of an actual situation where like literally a one for one lightning light switch type situation has actually been done correctly. Um, Mm. you know, we made mention last time we talked about this, about the character of Wally West and how, you know, I'm, I'm, 
big fan of the Flash television series. You're you're a pseudo fan of that show. I actually love what they've done with the Wally West on that show. I know you hate him, which is fine. No, I think, no, I don't. <laughs> Dude, season three, he's gonna own it in season no, three. He's got like, the Kid Flash okay. costume, and this is interesting see, because I just don't like that the way the character acts. That's that's just really it. That's fine. That's fine. He had had he hadn't had as much screen time. Like give give him time. Give him time. He's gonna he's gonna do great. That's true. That's true. Great. I'll give him a chance. I'll give him a chance. So the thing is that show comes out and it's vastly popular. Um, and the big, you know, there was a big uh, kind of change in that, in that Iris West, uh, who's traditionally, uh, again, here we are again, actually with a, uh, a, a white character with red hair, right. uh, is actually, you know, uh, portrayed by, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name right now. It's Candace, but I can't think of her last name. Parker. But anyway, um, an African-American actress. Yeah. She's actually from, uh, actually from Mississippi originally, uh, interestingly enough. And she's doing a, a fantastic job. And, you know, her father also plays, Joe West plays a significant role in this. He's kind of a new character that they've created for the show. And, you know, you're getting Iris West stories in that show that you would not get in the comics. You know, that you're getting, because, especially because of the involvement of Joe West and kind of his parentage, mm-hmm. like th- this is a very different take on what's come before in the comics. And that's okay. That's fine. Like it's, it's enjoyable to have different takes. You know, somebody did the math and we're like, okay, well, if Iris West is black and her father's black by the transitive property. <laughs> that means that Wally West, who is a superhero, Kid Flash, would also be black, which for a television series that they've established in this universe, great. Problem is in the comics, Wally West is a redhead kid. And what they did was when they decided to reboot their universe, they rebooted it with black Wally West. Mm. And it did not go over well on a lot of different levels. It was not just the fact that they race changed, you know, a pre-existing hero. It's the fact that that, that reboot didn't work very well. Mm-hmm. And the biggest difference, like ver- visual difference out of all of that <laughs> is the fact that, well, what happened to Kid Flash? Oh, well, this is Kid Flash. Like, that doesn't look like Kid Flash. Doesn't have the same backstory as Kid Flash. He doesn't act like Kid Flash. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point is he just Kid Flash in name only and not actually Kid Flash? So, what they ended up having to do is White Kid Flash comes in as the savior of the universe mm-hmm. and puts to the side Black Kid Fat, our new Black Kid Flash, and he is retconned again, retroactive continuity, to become his cousin, who, by the way, is now the son of a supervillain. So, whoa. Okay, that okay. happened. So, so let me let, we we have to touch on that because I think a lot of people right. casually would say, "Okay, well, if you guys can change, like like we're we're the ones doing it." But if you guys can change, you know, a white character to be black or to be an ethnic minority, why can't you change an ethnic minority to be white? And if we can't do that, you know, that's not fair, or that wouldn't be fair, or true to the character. And what would you say to that? What would you say to the idea of flipping the character from being an ethnic minority to being someone who is white or portrayed? And and I think we see this probably even more within, you know, cinematic, not within the comic cinematic universe, but as far as in movies and as far as in, you know, popular portrayals of even even ethnic heritage in and of itself, we see certain characters becoming white. Or we see certain characters that would be Asian right. or would be African-American right. or would be Hispanic becoming white. So what would you say to the person who would say, well, of course, like they should flip it because if you can flip it from a white character to the opposite, the, the vice versa should be true. No, that's exactly the problem is that neither of those should be accurate. I mean, that, that you know, and that's, 
I feel like a lot of what's fueling this mindset is one party who's saying, hey, you shouldn't race change this character, being completely oblivious to the fact that this happens all of the time and whitewashing characters, whitewashing uh, even even actual historical uh, figures in, in terms Biblical of their movie, uh, movie counterparts. Biblical characters as well. Like this, they, they're completely, they say you can't race change this, but they're completely oblivious to the fact this happens all of the time in a reverse setting. Whereas on the other side, people will praise this change and cite, well, this happens all the time in whitewashing. Therefore, you know, why, 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 A, why are you silent on that? And B, that's why we need this kind of, you know, race changing to happen to, I guess, settle a balance. Now, that's not exactly what they're saying, and I'm oversimplifying here. But what I find is that one party is wrong, but for the right reasons. And the other party is right, but for very, very wrong reasons. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's it's very frustrating in in the midst of kind of some of these things. Now that's my opinion, and I'm I'm not gonna you know I'm I'm willing to be persuaded, and I and understand I'm not. I try not to be that nerd on the internet who's just gonna yeah everything's terrible or <laughs> right, anything like right. that. Now I think this ties in you know to pass the mic, and some people are like, well, what does this have to do with pass the mic? Well, I think this ties in. I think from a thirty thousand foot perspective. Not just because uh, the, the, the stories are the things that shape our generation and our culture. When you think about, you know, growing up on specific characters to see the representation of those characters and to see their stories, stories told in a diverse way can affect our, our thought process, can affect how we live and how we act and how we operate. But I think even from a bigger perspective, I think it's a really interesting topic. Because it dives into this idea of the centering of the white perspective. So the centering of whiteness mm-hmm. or white characters in all of story, not just in fictional, but in, in history, yep. in the historical narrative. So I think there's this subtle assumption that, as I was mentioning before, biblical characters are white and historical characters who, who did, did things of importance are white. And some of them are um, I don't think, you know, when we talk about biblical, we have to be careful about the European and the, you know, it, we can get into all that, but the African and the European and, and the Middle Eastern and all these things that play into that, but of quote unquote white perspective is something that we have to address as we move towards reconciliation, as we move towards justice, as we move towards harmony. We have to establish at some point why we center that perspective. We have to establish why we center that. And I think a diversity of perspectives and, and, and decentering that, that idea, decentering that narrative gives us better vision to see people as image bearers of God, as gifts, um, as something that mm-hmm. we, we should learn from to, to put ourselves subservient to that. Because it seems like the, the, the most hurtful, harmful thing about the, the backlash and the outrage for the race change of, of MJ has been this idea that black characters and actors and actresses should submit to a white perspective, which we get throughout all of theology, right? Like, so we have certain theological heroes and we're like, submit to this perspective. And it's like, well, there's a whole separate perspective that's not necessarily separate, but it comes from a different angle. You know, we can we can also listen to theologians of color, and we can also listen to academics of color and professors of color, and and so it's the right. decentering of that perspective that had my wheels turning. Is why I wanted to talk about it because it really gives us a glimpse into and some things that we might unintentionally do within the church, and not trying to be ahistorical to kind of fit stuff in where it doesn't exist, but to think holistically 
about have we centered a perspective and a narrative as Euro or Anglo or what, what have you as just being the way things are done and the way things should be done versus truly incorporating the diversity of the body of Christ in reconciliation, in harmony. So I don't know if you have any thoughts as far as how that ties into that, but that's really the interesting part of all this is how we center ourselves, uh, you know, subconsciously and the narratives that we just accept as canon, so to speak. You know, it's interesting because if it was just a simple decision of, oh, we, you know, let, you know, let's, let's tell a modern day story of Peter Parker. Well, most of his supporting cast, especially given, um, you know, who he is, what his background is, if you place him in, uh, you know, in, in, uh, Queens, in New York, in the public school system, it's going to be very different from what the comics books are. So if you're going to take a modern day interpretation of this character plopping down here, the settings around him are going to be different. I think that's great. Like I said, I, I think, there's an exciting way that you can tell new stories, no, uh, quote unquote, modern stories, but also more, more ac- accurately, uh, more diverse stories within this genre and within this character. And I think you know the, what they've done with the movie universe is great. The problem is it's not it's it can't it can't be as simple. Yeah. I wish that it it could be just as simple as that because we need more representation. But I think to say that this character is white and now they're black or, and what it should be as well, which by the way, doesn't happen enough is that, Oh, this character is, uh, is black or is Arab or is Asian, but now they're white because reasons. We need to sell tickets or <laughs> because we need to sell tickets. And that, cause that's the other thing too, man, the, you know, we've gotten how many Spider-Man movies and where's my static shock film? You know, yeah. uh, we're just now getting Luke Cage, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Really excited for it. Black Panther came in the third installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, like you have to like the whole mindset is we can't create a new black supporting character for Spider-Man because white audiences won't care about that. So what are we going to do? We're going to take an existing character that white audiences already care about and make them black. And that's how we're going to kind of sneak it in to exactly. And so, you (laughs) know, I, I get the necessity factor of, you know, or, you know, the, the, at least the perceived necessity factor of this is the only way we can do it. But I just, I, I disagree that that's the only way it can be done. I think compelling right. characters are what's needed. And I think that, you know, we need a static movie. We, we, you can add new characters into Spider-Man supporting cast, mm-hmm. you know? And let me, and let me say this before, before we close, I think, you know, yep. we're also getting a, a young black iron woman, um, or, or oh, Iron I meant Man, to talk about actually, that too. Yeah, she's yeah, actually yeah. being called Iron Heart. Like she's not being called Iron Woman or Iron Maiden or what have you. I thought Iron Maiden was a missed opportunity, man. That would be an awesome name. They said it was because of legal issues. They said they thought it would be a legal nightmare, but because um, the rock band, but the, right? <laughs> yeah, and a number of other things too. So it was very interesting to see that, and you know, to see a young, you know, black uh, superhero being portrayed in that role. To have some of the tinges of, you know, the Tony Stark um, Iron Man character, I think, within her suit or, or things of that nature. So that's very interesting. And I think that's good. Also, you know, uh, I believe her name is Kamala Khan. Um, we're talking about Captain Marvel as well, who people have referenced as, you know, a different character. Um, she's actually Muslim. So so I think there are there is a push in, towards that sort of diversity within those um, spheres. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about just kind of the 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 changing of those characters, or or the addition of those characters within those storylines? 
Yeah, I'm all for it, man. I mean, I think I think uh, the great thing about superheroes, this has always been the case, is that they're mantles, right? Um, you know, in, in The Dark Knight Rises, Batman or Bruce gives that whole speech about, you know, Batman doesn't have to be Bruce Wayne. Batman's an idea. Anybody could be under that mask. And I think, you know, there's a there's an element to the heroic narrative uh, in, in that, you know, the, the masks themselves, it, anybody could be, you know, slip on the Iron Man suit and be... Uh, be the Iron Man as long as they, you know, have that heroic nature to them. They're willing to sacrifice, etc. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it's twofold. One is, yeah, seeing seeing that kind of handoff of the mantle and seeing a new generation and a a, a diverse new generation of of superheroes coming in and stepping into that role. I think that's huge. I think that needs to happen. Uh, it definitely has happened. I mean, we've seen that before. Miles Morales, you've made mention to the new Spider Man. Uh, of the the ultimate universe anyway, and um, you know a, an awesome character. Uh, also, uh, oh, I was about to say John Jones, but he's actually the Martian Manhunter. Uh, John Stewart, who's yeah, the uh, oh, yeah, Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. Yeah, yeah, Green Lantern um, has you know had several different folks actually uh, wear that mantle, but but John Stewart's probably the uh, one of the most well known after Hal Jordan. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, I think somebody like Ironheart's great. Uh, I love, I was reading her backstory and just seeing what they're doing with her. I think is awesome. You know, I, I, I think Iron Woman would have been maybe a bit more of an appropriate name than Ironheart, but at the same time, perhaps that actually ties a bit into her origin story. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what, right. where that comes from. Yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. That's yeah. what they said. Iron Maiden, though, so, I so, really do feel like that was a missed opportunity. But yeah, so that's the thing. Hand off, you know, sure, have new people, new characters come in, step into the mantle, and they can be, you know, the Iron Iron Man equivalent, or, or the Captain America, or the Captain Marvel, or whomever it's going to be, or and, you know, have characters that are themselves their own heroes, like Luke Cage, like Static, you know. And I think that that's to some extent that's even more powerful because that's not you know, stepping into a role that was previously assumed by a white hero, but it is like their own, you know, the origins of that hero heroic narrative will always go back to that original character. Um, but I just, you know, race changing one way or the other, I'm just never a big fan of because it always gets messed up when it goes to the source material. And so, yeah, Mm. like, here's the question that I have for you though. Am I completely tone deaf? Like, am I, am I, am I I I blinders on that? I'm missing something. Cause I'm no, like, I think that's a good pushback. I think that's a really fair pushback. I think we want good characters and we want good actress, actors and actresses. So if someone doesn't deliver, then it doesn't matter if they're black or whatever, they're not a good character. Um, so we just want her acting to be good. We want her representation to be good, you know? So, so I think that's, that's the main thing that maybe I wanted to communicate that I didn't properly is that, you know, I think sometimes people are like, oh, affirmative action and you just want representation at all costs. And I'm like, nah, because we want people who deserve it to get it. You know, we just want there to be an open pool for them to get in to those spots. So, but no, nah, man, I think it's good. I think people, people know us and they, they, they'll enjoy this podcast and they'll have specific thoughts about representation and things of that nature. So. Good. Well, I hope I did come across it like, you know, for the movie, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I think that she's a good casting. I'm excited to see what new stories they can tell with her. It's just, I'm, I'm concerned because I've seen companies fail so hard oh, yeah. on, on how they incorporate it into the source material. That's, that can be dangerous, but, um, yeah, this is good. This is good for us, man. This is good for us to talk about these things. We got some people, I put it out in the Facebook group for uh, some people to share some thoughts. Did we get any comments? 
Yeah. So Nick Horton said, uh, I'm confused why there was an uproar. Acting is about representing the character idea, very much what you were just talking about, Tyler. Uh, not about being perfectly visual or visually perfect. Um, he also makes mention, of course, that Matt Damon is the new special white person in uh, a movie set in China. Uh, and there has not been uh, near the uproar that there yeah, should the, be. In, the Great in that. Wall. Yeah. Yeah. The Great uh, Wall. Is that, is that what, you know, as soon as I saw, you know what it reminded me of as soon as I saw the preview for that? You remember, uh, uh, what was it? Tom Cruise is the last samurai. Bro. Bro. <laughs> Great action in that movie, Bro. by the way, but man, come on. Bro. <laughs> he's, he, <laughs> oh man, he's I can't samurai. even get into Like he is, he's the last samurai. He's <laughs> like, what? Come on. Quite literally. Quite literally, because they all died around exactly. him, so he was the last Come one. Come on, man. Oh, like, man. That joint is wild. Spoilers. Bro. That joint is wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also got uh, Jonathan uh, Springer said, shaking my head, not not surprised. Uh, Max says, people are usually not angry about the misrepresentation they should be angry about. Oh, no, this this kind of gets into my, my mindset here. Like, like modern-day version of blackface or a lack of rep- representation of Asian character roles. Uh, being played by white people in movies. So yeah, mm-hmm. like if, if yeah. we could... No, that's true. Yeah, and I think this is important because when we talk about how much money we spend on entertainment, mm. Christians themselves should be very open to these conversations um, because we spend a lot of money on entertainment. And, and a lot of times we spend money on entertainment blindly, especially when it comes to our children, when it comes to the people that we're in charge of caring for, we just kind of blindly spend uh, money and give their attention to, well, let's just put this TV show on. So, because it, it entertains them, you know, without thinking about the subliminal nature of the messages that we're sending and the representation of characters and um, just the ethics that are being preached and taught. So, so how we frame this entertainment conversation is actually vitally important to the long-term social conditioning of our children and the, and our social conditioning itself, um, whether or not we're, we're doing something that is contrary to the gospel or we're doing something that enhances gospel ethics and actually tells good story, causes us to dream and imagine well. Um, and, and that, that's another thing, like the whole idea of imagination. It's just not talked about in Christian circles mm. and we don't think through Imagine imagining well, thinking well, dreaming well, um, creativity, wonder, beauty, just all underutilized elements within the Christian walk. It's not really talked about, not incorporated into our discipleship. So it's actually a big gap for people who say, yes, we, we do want to talk about the intersection of theology and race, but also how does culture play into that? And how does culture condition us to thinking things that are contrary to the to the orthodox theology that we have? So I hope people are open to it, man. Hey, I got an idea for for when we do episodes like this. Let's just call it Christ in Pop Culture. <laughs> Dude. You know what? We may run yeah. into legal issues there. Maybe we should call yeah, it we uh, <laughs> call it Iron Heart. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish we could I wish we could get them as they have so many really good thinkers on this issue. Um Right on. Maybe in the future. That's crazy. Man, well, uh, this has been a great conversation, very eye-opening for me, enlightening. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. I just so want to give complaints. Bo the opportunity. So many complaints, man. No, <laughs> I, I can see it. Look, I've I've seen I've seen what happens whenever we talk about the comic book stuff. There's a lot of like, no. all right, I didn't get enough gospel message in this or or something of that no. nature. And- <laughs> no. I think the Pastor Mike listeners are accustomed to this. They're they're conditioned to this now, and I I did want to give you the opportunity, Bo to plug some of your podcasts that you do that explore these themes 
um, just in a in a pure review perspective. So tell them about the podcast that you do in some ways that they can follow if they just want they're comic book nerds like us and they just want to, or if they're not, and they just want to get into comics or comic shows. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, flash TV talk, the number one flash podcast. You can find it on satchel. Of course, iTunes as well. Any major podcast player out there, but uh, yeah, flash TV talk where we take the television series, the flash episode by episode with an ESPN style of energy behind it. And I uh, give it all these kind of an- <laughs> analysis. We actually got a review that said we overthink things. So if you like overthinking, uh, Flash TV Talk <laughs> is the place for it. And then uh, also Panel to Screen, which is straight up just a movie and uh, show review show. We'll actually be reviewing uh, the Luke Cage. That's coming out in about a month here. Um, so once we yep. binge watch that series on Netflix, we'll have a review out for that shortly thereafter. But yeah, Panel to Screen, Flash TV Talk. Awesome. Man, well, thank you guys so much for joining us both. Thank you for bringing your analysis. And uh, just I hope this can can be just kind of a, a fun episode for you guys to listen to and then also can kind of motivate you um, to inspire your kids and, and the youth around you to dream um, that one day they can be writers and they can write stories from their perspective and new characters. And um, this can all glorify God, even in our eating and drinking, even in our writing, even in our consuming of pop culture, we can do all to the glory of God and centering people as image bearers, um, uh, image bearers of God and centering them in their diverse perspectives towards reconciliation. So hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. As always, we want you to rate and review us on iTunes. We also want you to subscribe to us on iTunes as well and on the Satchel app, which you can download if you are Android or an iPhone user. Um, we also want you to follow the website, randnetwork.org. You can follow us um, on Twitter at randnetwork and then the show at underscore pass the mic. And we want you guys to continue this conversation. So reach out to us, let us know how we're doing. Um, give us encouragement, feedback, critique. We're open for all of that. And also join the private Pass the Mic Facebook group. So many great conversations happening there and so many different conversations than what we can get into on the podcast. So you're really missing out if you don't um, search Pass the Mic on Facebook and apply um, to get into the Pass the Mic private group because it is a blessing. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you to Bo York. Jamar Tisby will be on next week and we'll see you then on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com.